Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Today, I'm going to invite you to pull out your little sermon notes page. If you got that, go ahead and pull that out. And I'm going to play TV preacher guy for a moment. Do you all ever see preacher guys on TV? I could see you on TV. No, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about watching somebody else on TV. I mean, I could see you on TV. All right, well. You could do this. Okay, thanks. Yeah. So to be a good TV preacher, you got to have people say something out loud in the audience. Are you all good with that? All right, so I want you to repeat after me. One phrase at a time. Everybody. Everybody. Oh, you can do better than that. Everybody. Everybody. Can do. Can do. Something. Something. Do you all believe that? Yeah. You do? All right, let's try it again. Everybody. Everybody. Can do. Can do. Something. Something. All right, we're going to change it up just a little bit. Let's see if you're awake yet. I. I. Can do. Can do. Something. Something. Go ahead and write that down on your little sermon notes page. I can do something. And put a little note that Bobby the TV preacher said you could. Amen. And uh, you got it, bud. Preach it. You got it. So I, I believe that. I believe that this morning is that every single person in this room can do something for God. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Tuesday nights, uh, we're part of a small group, a semester group, and uh, a couple of weeks ago is my week to teach, and I, I walked into the house that we, we have it at Zach and Karen Brown's house. So I walked in with this expectancy, excited, hey, everybody can do something for God. And then I said that, and everybody just sort of stared at me. Have you ever had that moment? You had that where you tried to, you're passionate about something, and everybody just sort of blinked at you. Um, we, every Sunday. Every Sunday. All right, let's pray for Chuck. Um, but uh, we, we, we don't have any kids, so we've got this, don't laugh, we've got this manly 10-pound guard dog, all right? Thanks for not laughing too bad at me. So 10 pounds, Ollie is a stud. He's awesome. Sorry if you follow me on Facebook. We dress him up and all kinds of silly things. He's embarrassed by it, but we love him. So some Fridays, some Saturdays, uh, Laura will be at work or whatever, and I'll be sort of thinking through a message or something. And, and so I just need to say it out loud. I can think it all day long, but I just sometimes just need to say it. And so Ollie is sitting there watching me preach. And so sometimes when you talk to an animal, it looks like they're listening, they're paying attention. So he's just sort of looking at me and I'll get into this big preacher moment and I'll be like, and, and you can do anything for God. And then have you ever seen a dog where they just sort of do the tilted head. Have y'all seen that? You can do anything. And he's like, huh? (laughs) That's the way that Tuesday night felt literally two, three weeks ago. I'm like, you can do anything. And everybody's like, huh, I don't know about that. And sometimes in a room like this, it feels that way where I say, well, everybody can do something for God. And you're like, well, not me. I mean, that's great for Chuck. I mean, he, he impacts thousands of people every single year. That's great for, you know, a missionary or somebody else, but there's no way God could use me. But yet this morning, We have this strong conviction that everybody in this room can do something for God. You don't need anybody's permission. You don't need some degree. You don't need a piece of paper. You don't need some class. You don't need to wait on somebody to say, you can do something. If you need that, let me just do that right now. You can do anything you want to for God, all right? So we got that out of the way. You don't have to wait on somebody else. And so this morning, I just wanted to open by telling briefly the story of one of my favorite people in the Bible. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but at least write down this reference. Write down 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. I'm just going to read you a couple of verses and set up where we're going today. But it says, uh, I'm sorry, not 1 Kings, 2 Kings. So I'm kicked off TV now. Awesome. Ollie did not do his job yesterday. He did not. He's like, huh? so let the record reflect at 9.30, Bobby actually made this statement. Some of the best sermons I've ever preached were to Ollie. <laughs> 
They were awesome. That is the most unmanly he, dog you have ever he seen. He bowed in his your knee. Life. He got his life together. What kind of dog is that? He's a cockapoo. <laughs> Why are you I laughing? I rest my case. He's awesome. You don't have to take him out. Just hold him out the window, squeeze, and you're done. I mean, it's. Is that too visual for Sunday morning? Check, please. <laughs> Can we edit that, Zach? Can we edit that? So anyway, so please yeah. get back to Josiah. Yeah, let's talk about Josiah yeah, yeah, for a second. Do. I don't know I love why Josiah. you interrupted me. Uh, Second Kings 22. Let me read you a couple of verses. Here's what it says. Um, verse 1 is a good place to start, right? Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Now let that sink in for a second. He was mm. how old? What were you doing when you were eight? You know, you're like second, third grade. You know what I was doing when I was eight? When I was a kid, there was this stuff called Pop Rock Candies. Mm -hmm. Do y'all remember that? There's an urban legend that said that if you mix Pop Rocks and Coke then, and drink it, your stomach will explode. Do y'all remember that? So that's what I was doing when I was in third grade. I was trying that. I was like, all right, let's see if this works. So that's what I'm doing when I'm eight. He's made king when he's eight years old. Listen to what it goes on to say about him. He reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside from the right or from the left. This is a big deal. His dad was an evil king. His granddad was a horrible king. These two guys, his role models, his parents, his grandparents, they were awful. Literally, they were awful. They shut down worship to God. They, they took the temple, which was a big deal in their day. The temple was built in the center of the city. It was the tallest structure in the city. It was this physical reminder that all of life is to be lived as if God is in the middle of your life. The shadow of the temple fell on everything to say all of life is to be lived in the shadow of the presence of God. And these two guys, his dad and his granddad, they shut it down. They stripped it of its beauty. They stopped all of the worship there, and they set up false places of worship to false gods. They were awful. They were evil. And so, so his dad's killed, and so as an eight-year-old, they're like, hey, good luck, you're the king. And so he didn't have um, a, a great start to his kingdom, right? He, he, he didn't have a great role model. There was no little class you could go to. There's no YouTube video you can pull up how to become king in eight steps or that. There, there's none of that stuff. And yet, here's what happens for Josiah. He began to listen to the prophets of his day. He began to listen to the teachings of people that were godly. And so this little eight-year-old guy has a heart for God. You fast forward his story. By the time he's in his early 20s, he begins to say, well, what can I do for God? I mean, I didn't have a great role model. My dad was bad. My granddad was awful. The last 80 years, our nation has lived like God's not in charge. What can I do? And so what he begins to say is, I can't do a lot of stuff. I, I can't change my past. I can't vote on it. I, I can't do any of those things. But what I can do is I can put some effort in restoring the temple. And so that's what he does. As a 20-something-year-old, he sends a crew over to the temple. He says, we're going to restore its glory. We're going to restore worship here. And so to do that, we've got to come up with some funds. Mm -hmm. And so he has some workers go down into the basement of the temple to go into the vault to count their money. He's 20. He's got his own vault. I'm not bitter. I'm just pointing out the details in Scripture. So they're down there. Counting money, I don't know if they had the little thermometer with the building fund. I they did. Forever We Build campaign. Yeah, yeah. Here's how much we've Come raised. Grow with so, us. I don't know. Yeah. But they're down there counting money, and here's what's cool about it. Is while they're counting money, they run across a scroll. And it's not just any scroll. It's the book of Deuteronomy. 
This is basically Moses' last will and testament. Before he left this earth, he's like, I want to write down everything I know about God and what the nation of Israel needs to remember. He wrote it down. The problem is both Josiah's dad and his granddad tried to get rid of any copies they had of it. They tried to get rid of the Bible of their day. They burned it. They got rid of it. They hid it away. And so for 70, 80 years, nobody's had access to a physical scroll. And so they find this while they're in the basement. They rush it over to Josiah. The, the prophetess opens it and begins to read it. And here's some of the words of what Josiah heard. It said, these are the words of the Lord. It says this, Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because, because they've forsaken me, that burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath burns against this place, and it shall not be quenched." God's saying, look, my, my basic covenant, I'm not a random God. I, I, I don't live off of random emotional ups and downs. He says, I made a covenant with you hundreds of years ago. I know your dad didn't live by it. I know that your granddad didn't live by it, but it's still in effect. And basically, here's the covenant. If you obey me, I'm going to bless you. But when you live in disobedience, I'm going to bring judgment. And so Josiah hears these words. He hears, I'm, God is still in charge that God's not pleased with us because we've been living like it's all about us and not about him. And here's what the Bible says. It says that Josiah began to weep. He physically tore his clothes, which was a, a physical expression of grief that's in his heart. He didn't cry just a few tears. He literally wept because he recognized we have broken the heart of God. And knowing that he had broken the heart of God caused his own heart to break. And what Josiah did as a 20-something-year-old said, I want to do something about that. Let me ask you a question. What is it that breaks your heart? What is it that when you see it, you begin to say, man, it shouldn't be that way? What is that thing that causes you to get uncomfortable? What is that thing that, that honestly makes you mad, makes you angry? What is that thing that you're like, man, somebody ought to do something about it. The church needs to, my neighbors, somebody needs to change something. about. What is that thing for you? Because I think every one of us has that thing. Whether it's big or small, whether it's global or local, there's something that breaks your heart. And here's what I loved about Josiah is even as a 20-something-year-old, he said, I can't do everything, but I can do something over the thing that breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. And for Josiah, his something ended up leading the nation of Israel into 40 years of revival. They went from being a pagan nation worshiping false god to, to having one of the biggest revivals in all of the Old Testament because one guy's heart was broken and he did something about it. It only takes one person. It only takes one person. And what we love is our church is full of people that are just like that. Everywhere we turn, there's somebody that says, I, I need to do something. My heart breaks four. All it takes is one. I'm that person. They're everywhere. We could tell stories all week long. And we, we sat when we were planning this service, and, and we thought of list after list after list of people just like you who are making a difference in people's lives that want to invest in somebody else because all it does is take one. It's interesting, Josiah, as, starting as an 8-year-old, then becoming a 20-something, saved the nation of Israel. Hmm. One guy. And I look at what, what some of you do. 
uh, Les and Valerie Williams down here just uh, joined our church maybe a year and a half or so ago. And it's not unusual to find them walking around this building seven times praying for everything that happens in and around and for you. You may not know this, but before you even got here today, you were prayed for. Before you ever got here, even though they might not have known your name, they were praying for you today. I have seen and watched uh, Les as he sat there, Valerie up here singing, and said him singing there with his hand in his face, praying for what God's going to do. And you know, nobody asked him to do that. Nobody said, hey man, we got this super cool prayer ministry you need to sign up for. It was just a broken heart that says, I love our church. I love our community. I want us to do all God wants us to do, and I want to be all God wants us to be. It's interesting. Uh, Psalm 109 verse 4 says, I will give myself unto prayer. That's what this couple has done. They've given themselves to prayer. But you know, it's not just that. I got to know Shannon and Terry Crewe when I first came here to Sugar Hill. And I just fell in love with this family. What a great group of people. They had a broken heart. They came to me one day and and said, "We, we have a broken heart for children, for people in Tanzania who have born, have been born into albinism. Because did you know that in Tanzania, if you're born an albino, that you literally run a significant risk of being chopped up and killed because you're different, because you just happen to be different. Shannon and Terry took two weeks, raised their own funds, apart from anything the church ever did, flew to Tanzania, spent two weeks there ministering to children and families to help them be able to be self-sufficient and escape certain death. And now I understand they're going back again because they decided, wait a minute, like the NFL, when you get drafted, the team expects you to add something to the team. They expect you to become something. They expect you to make a difference, to do your part, to do your job. And you know what's interesting, that watching them, it's like Val and Les, it's like Shannon and Terry, they got drafted into God's kingdom and said, I want to do my part. This is what I can do. This is where I can start. This is what I have. And they were all in and jumped in, but that's not all. Now, uh, probably about a year ago, uh, in one of the the new members class, Discover membership classes, I get to meet Alan and Diane Morris. Uh, Amazing, lovely couple. uh, Their story is Alan, uh, for a lot of years, served on staff at a church down the road down in Duluth and just uh, did an amazing job, loved everything about it. And then in 2011, was part of a mission trip to India. And so he goes over to India. He meets a pastor there who has a heart for orphans. Uh, Alan finds out about how many kids there are, are just needing a home and needing to experience the love of God. Comes back from that mission trip. This isn't part of his job, isn't part of his ministry at that church. Comes back from that mission trip, talking to his wife, Diane. Their heart breaks over this situation. They're like, what are we going to do? What can we do? There's no program. There's, no, there's none of that. And so they ended up forming a nonprofit ministry called the Agapeo Movement. Agapeo is the Greek word that, that signifies love and action. They're like, what are we going to do with it? So they create this nonprofit. They opened a storefront right across from our church. If you hang a left on 20, it's on the right in that strip mall just a minute away. And in that storefront, they sell items 
uh, made by artisans here in the U.S., uh, in India, and other parts of the world, and everything that is sold there goes to help that orphanage. Right I saw now, pictures on Facebook for them the other day this weekend. They had a painting party in a studio. Absolutely, very cool. They do and very did I understand cool all those funds are going to support the children in India? Yeah. So wow. the the orphanage wow. is like seventy five percent built at this moment. They already have kids there. Their goal is to finish that out. They're actually taking a team to India, if you're interested. They're taking a team this summer. It's amazing. Their heart broke, yeah. and so we're going to do something about it. We can't do yeah. everything. We can't, we can't build a zillion orphanages right now, but we can start with one. Mm-hmm. There's so many stories like that. I mean, you just go on and on and on and think about those stories. Uh, one that is close to me now is a few weeks ago, I was up here on a Thursday afternoon walking through this building. Our office is the other side of the campus, so I'm not normally on this side on a Thursday afternoon, I walk into this room and uh, just see these three ladies uh, that are on the screen that are just, uh, well, not us two there ladies. They are. Those three ladies, yeah, those. Uh, Anita, Sandra, and Ginger were in here, and their job, their goal was to go throughout this room, straighten up all the chairs, make sure there's guest info cards in the seat backs, make sure there's pins around, because their heartbeat is that anytime somebody comes in here, they want to make it easy for them to uh, give their prayer requests, make it easy for them to connect with the church so that they don't fall through the cracks because these three ladies, no program, no thing, they're like, we have a heart for that. And then uh, Anissa Lottie came to our church a year and a half ago and really was trying to figure out what does God want me to do and where should I spend my life? And she, she now leads our music and our weekday preschool program, leads our uh, girls ministry and our student ministry, but she took off on a trip to Belize to be able to serve children and orphans in Belize and is headed back. And I've seen God do this amazing work in her life from one of the sweetest, I mean, really one of the coolest young ladies I've ever met. And I believe God's going to do this unbelievable work in her life because she at one point just said, I'm all in. I'm all about that. And you say, well, you know what? I can't, I can't go to Belize. I can't go to Tanzania. I can't go to Haiti. You know, the, I heard the story, Bobby, about Louis and Phyllis Grizzle. And uh, did you know that they have delivered 23,000 boxes of brownies to new families who have, jo- who have moved into the city of Sugar Hill over the past few years? 23,000 brownies. I mean, a box is a brownie. That is, that's a lot of brownies. <laughs> a whole lot of brownies. I mean, seriously, that would bless me. That's a lot of brownies. Yeah. Almost every new member's class, I'll, uh, when we have time, I'll go around the room and say, how'd you hear about the church? And sometimes it's people passing us. Sometimes it's the website. And it's all, all those kind of things. But almost every single class, somebody says, we got a box of brownies. And yeah. so they showed up. How many of you have gotten a box of brownies? <laughs> Look at that. So, so somehow when you got a new address in Sugar Hill, brownies got delivered to you. And you know what it was? We love you. Come check out Sugar Hill Church. And here you are. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So that, that started in 91, and now over the years, they've had more than 60 people help with that effort. And people keep helping. Like Steve, I saw Steve Moore earlier. Where are you at, Steve? Yeah. Oh, Steve's back there moving dirt so our student ministry has a bigger area. Tyler Young, who's always around here helping create these sets, making a difference in the life of our church. Have you seen our billboard out on Highway 20 headed uh, from coming toward us right before the uh, river on the right? It's given to us by Morgan Hudgens, who owns a business. Did you see the new uh, pergola and the pavers out here getting ready for a new uh, welcome center? That, that was Andy Whaley and Bobby Reese being able to say, I want to help. I want to make a difference. I want to serve. And so these were people who said, you know what? Here's where I'm at. I got a job. I, can, I got to work full time. I got to fulfill this need. But with my job, how can I help the church? I, I'm going I'm to start where I'm at. I'm going to use what I have, and then I'm going to do 
what I can do. And they just jumped all in, including Kelly Hopkins. Yeah, so Steve and Kelly Hopkins joined our church, I don't know, it's been maybe three or four years ago now. And uh, they, God just has been doing a cool, cool work in both of their lives. Amazing, amazing people. They went on a mission trip to, I believe it was Ethiopia several years ago. Their church asked them to go, hey, would you go with two other couples? Well, when they went on this trip, their goal was to talk about, uh, talk to the churches there and families there about adopting. And so the other two couples on the trip had already adopted. Steve and Kelly hadn't. And so they're planning to go and just talking about adoption from God's perspective, that mm -hmm. God adopts us into their family. Little did they know that their heart would break for those that are lonely. And so on their 14-hour plane ride back here, God continued to break their heart so much so they're like, we're going to do something about it. So they get back home and they start the process. And now, man, they've adopted and they're part of this, this group of people within our church that have a heart for the lonely. It's just amazing. It is amazing. As a matter of fact, one of the coolest stories I've heard is, is Copeland Hagen, a seven-year-old boy who on his birthday party said, I don't want presents. I want my friends to bring food so I can give to the North Gwinnett Co-op. Come on, that's stinking cool. I mean, seriously, that's really, that's cool. And, you know, here's a little boy, Bobby, that said, you know, here's where I'm at. I got a birthday party. I, I'm going to use what I have. My, my friends can help, and I'm going to do what I can. I, I can do that. And I see his grandparents sitting back there with big smiles on their face. And come on, y'all got to be proud, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's pretty cool. And, I mean, that's just an amazing story. Katie Monahan, one of our students in student ministry, her, you know what her school project was? She presented it to the school, and she said to Lanier High School, my project is I want to be a part of helping Sugar Hill Church create a co-op for just people in Sugar Hill who are hungry and homeless. And that's what I want to do. Then it comes to one of our own, Diane Moffey. Diane, um, t tell this story, Bobby. It's just it's very cool. Well, some of y'all uh, have seen Diane taking pictures during baptism. She works as part of our team in our finance office. And so we always give her and Craig Schmidtle a hard time because you've got to have the right forms, the right rules, all that kind of stuff, all the things we love about financial people. And so we give her a hard time. But in 2011, she goes on her first trip to Haiti, and God just broke her heart. She, you know, compared to us, 99% of Haitians have absolutely nothing. She meets all these orphans that go to bed at night hungry, just like Chuck was talking about. And now since 2011, she's literally been to Haiti 11 times, 11 times. Now she's not just a participant. She's the, what we would consider the champion for the cause, where she yeah. comes back, she spreads the word. If you ever are in our offices, go to her office, and you'll see all over her walls pictures of Haiti. You'll, you'll see prayer requests on her door. You'll see outside yeah. her office. It looks like all this random stuff lined up in the hallway. You're like, hey, are you all going to clean up around here? No, what that is is things that she's staging for the next trip to Haiti. Her mm -hmm. heart breaks for them, and now she champions that cause and gives voice to those that are lonely. Wow. And you know, we can tell story after story after story, but I want to introduce you to our last story. This is Katie Boberly. Katie, come on out. And uh, Katie uh, decided about a year ago that she would go to India. Now, at the time, Katie was 21 years old and said, I'm going to go to India by myself. I mean, who does that, right? And her, her mom is freaking out, you know. It's just like, you know, you're going to get killed. You're going to die in India. I mean... Listen to this. While she was in India, Bobby and I were talking to her earlier. While she was in India, she had her wisdom teeth taken out. Isn't that crazy? Who does that? <laughs> so let me introduce you to the weirdest person I know. I'm not Hi. sure she has her kidneys now. Yeah, you know, she probably does. She has one kidney now. I mean, who knows what's going on here? You know, so if you faint, we'll know what happened. But Katie went to India, 
and this is a cool story. I'm going to let her tell you about how she got called there, but she went to India for a specific purpose. Tell us, how did you know God wanted you to India? Um, India is, it's kind of a funny thing because I originally didn't feel called to India. I felt called to the mission in India, um, which is kind of how I got there. My heart and my passion was um, in helping women and children in bondage, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual bondage. Uh, and so a weird, ha crazy happenstance. Uh, my mom was talking with someone about this passion of mine, and they told me to contact this woman who lived in India. And so I literally sent her a Facebook message. Um, I was just like, hey, let me know how I can help. Um, and she messaged me back and said, you should come. And so I did. So let me get this right. <laughs> you traveled around the world on a Facebook message and said, like, yeah, let's go. Yep, I'm crazy. <laughs> so tell us about you. you you were going to go, and then Kelly Hopkins said, well, I've been there. I don't want you to go alone, so she's going to go with you. But when you get to the airport, her visa's messed up, so she can't go. So you travel by yourself. I did. Um, I originally planned on going by myself, and then Kelly Hopkins is a really awesome person and a good friend of mine. Um, so she decided to come with me. And then at the airport, we had bags checked and all of that, um, and she ended up not being able to go, but I decided to go. Anyway. And when you got, when you got to India... Uh, I know there were some travel challenges. I mean, you rode trains and buses, and I mean, just, really. Just you a were... plane. I took three planes to get there. So. Wow. Okay. So you get there, and tell us about, tell us a little bit about the people that you served, what they do, and where you're at. Okay. Um, I was living in a children's home, which is basically like an orphanage, but the kids there actually have parents um, or mothers. Um, and then the second part of the ministry that I was working in was in a red light area, which is um, an area of town that is legalized for prostitution. Um, but these women are there against their will. They're trafficked. Um, and the cool thing about the children's home is that all of our kids come from this area called Kalpara. Mm. Uh, so in Kalpara, I was doing kids ministry um, and working with the women and children, doing vacation Bible schools and discipleship programs and just telling them about how much Jesus loves them. So let me get this <laughs> right. You were in uh, India, basically in a city that's known for legalized prostitution, mm -hmm. and your job was to minister to, care for, the children of those moms who had been sold into that slavery of having to sell themselves. Yes. And your goal then was to minister to them and eventually create freedom and hope for that family so they could escape. Mm -hmm. And so people came to know Christ and people got to know the Lord and families are being rescued. And I understand you're going back this December. Yes, I'm leaving December 11th. And you're, you're going you're gonna to spend Christmas in India. Mm -hmm. And I'm I mean, really excited. <laughs> Let the record reflect that most of our kids are not going to say, I'm really excited about missing Christmas and spending it in India. The best but, Christmas present ever. Yeah. Well, I want you to know how proud we are yeah. of you. And we're proud to call you one of ours. Let's stop and pray for Katie, all right? She's still yeah. fundraising too, Chuck. Yeah. By the way, if you want to help her, she still needs to raise some money to get there. And you can see her after service because I'd, I'd love for you to be a part of hearing the next story in the next chapter. All right? Let's pray. God... Thank you for this extraordinary young woman. Thank you for her passion and her courage. And God, I pray you'd bless her and keep her and hold her and protect her. More than anything, empower her to be able to make a difference. God, I pray we'd hear story after story of women and children being freed from slavery and bondage and find the freedom in Christ and the freedom in this life. Give her traveling safety. Bring her home that the story would even be larger and greater because of your goodness and your love. Thank you for a courageous young champion. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Bless you, sweetheart. Thank you. So today, as we wrap up, one of the things that I would say to you is in 
every great biblical story. It wouldn't matter if it was uh, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, David. Get over in the New Testament, it could be the Apostle Paul, Zacchaeus, whatever it was. We find this one simple formula. Three things. One of them is you got to start where you're at. Wherever you're at, God has a way and a desire to break your heart for something, to do something, to make a difference for something. And if you're here today and you say, man, Chuck, I don't, I, I don't know what God would break my heart for, then I would ask you this. Do you know for sure that Christ lives on the throne of your heart? And if not, allow him to and invite him to. Ask the resurrected Christ to say, Jesus, I need you. I love you. Be my Lord. And you know, you don't need a formal prayer. You don't need a fancy prayer. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I need you. I love you. I want you. And I promise you, he'll hear your prayer. Maybe you'd want to follow. Maybe you say, what I can do is I can follow in baptism and say, man, just like Blake Young, I want to settle this. I want to do it. Some of you are in jobs where you say, well, this is where I can start. Some of you are at the ball field. This is where I can start. Some of you are on job sites. This is where I can start. Some of you have businesses. This is where I can start. Wherever you're at, you can do that. And then you've got to use what you have. Every great biblical story, all these people, all these stories, and the dozens more we can tell, they decided this is where I'm at, but this is what I can use. I can use what I have. And then finally, to do what you can. Jesus said of a lady, Bobby, in the Gospel of Mark, he said, wherever the gospel is preached around the whole world, there's going to be a memorial of greatness to her. And you know why he said that? He followed it up and he said, because she has done what she could. It wasn't because she did something extraordinary. It wasn't because she, she changed the whole world. Where she was at, she used what she had. And she did what she could. Lesson Valerie said, this, this is where we're at. This is what we have. This is what we can do. Anissa said, this is where I'm at. This is what I have. This is what I can do. What breaks your heart? I don't want to ask you today, take that, take that little handout, grab a pen and the seat back in front of you and just write down, this is what breaks my heart. And then secondly, write down, this, this is what I can do. Maybe in your heart and in your mind, you're saying, this is where I'm at. This is what I can do. And this week, don't let another Sunday happen without starting where you're at, using what you have, and doing what you can do. Because when you do what you can do, Christ will never leave you where you're at, and he'll always change you for the good. And it's all